we've been doing this for the last couple of weeks did God really say and we spoke about forgiveness and we spoke about being afraid and um, my head's gone blank what we talked about last week anyone remember this is the test what I'm having a senior I'm having lots of senior moments lately I can tell you um, well here's what I want to do talk about today is I want to ask a question because I lived for a huge part of my life believing that God wanted to condemn me that he just wanted to catch me doing wrong and that was going to be easy because I was always doing it and I, had, and I was brought up in, a, in a, a belief system where God was sitting up there waiting to bash me when I got it wrong that doesn't sound very encouraging out there um, shut the door so we can't hear it <laughs> yeah it'll stop in a minute just lock the doors then we'll be grand yeah. so but I was brought up in this system where I really thought God was like this big guy up in the clouds somewhere with a big stick and a big white beard and he was waiting to bait me up when I got it wrong and I was guaranteed to get it wrong I'm still getting it wrong but it couldn't be further from the truth that was the image that was sold to us of who God is and what God is that he's a judger he's a, he's a condemner he wants to, to push us down and, and yes God is a judge I'm not saying he's not and I want him to be a judge we need a judge we need somebody who's going to go that's right and that's wrong and we need somewhere for someone to be accountable for all the bad things that have been done I just don't want me to be accountable for all the bad things I've done But that's not, God is a judge, but he's also a loving father. He's probably the most loving father you're ever going to get. We were praying here earlier, and, and someone prayed, they're like thanking God for being their father. Because he has been, and he is. And he will never let us down. And he'll never mess up. Actually, this is an aside. I read a thing this morning, I sent it out on that WhatsApp um, from the word for today about the highest, um, the highest contributing factor to crime is not poverty or lack of education, it's lack of fathers. That's scary. Lack of fathers. God is ever-present as a father. Father. Dads. Oh, lack of. No, no father. Okay. So it's like God is never going to leave us like that. But anyway, does God condemn us? No, I don't believe he condemns us. I do believe he convicts us. I do believe he puts his finger on it when we're doing something wrong and says, don't be doing that. For me, the difference between being condemned and between being convicted is that when I get condemned, I'm told I'm no good. You're this, you're that. And even worse, I tell myself those things. I am this, I'm that, I'm stupid, I'm whatever. When I'm convicted, I get what I'm doing pointed out to me. We learn this in parenting courses, don't we? You say, that you're a good child, but don't be doing the bold thing. Well, I don't know about you, some of you might be old enough here to remember when you were told you were a brat. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you're a brat. It doesn't matter what you do. But the reality is now parenting will tell you, no, 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 you don't tell the child they're bold. You just say they're doing bold things. But that's God's way. That's nothing new. God's been like that from the very beginning. And I want to read a scripture that I think really kind of shows us 
God's heart towards us as sinners. Towards us as, and even that word sinner is not very popular nowadays. But it's the reality of sin is the things that we do that separate us away from God. And his attitude towards us, even as we do things that push us away from him. Because we can't push him away most because he says he'll never move. But we push ourselves away from him. And it's from the book in the New, in the New Testament, John, and it's from chapter 8. And it's a story of a woman caught in adultery. And there was a big, there was things going on behind this, but I just want to read the story out for us. It'll be on the screen. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he went back again to the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but to let the first one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. <coughs> when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, this was a trap for Jesus. Jesus had been teaching. They tried to get him with the tax thing. Should they pay taxes to Caesar? They tried loads of different things to try and trap him. If they'd have caught him with this one, what they would have done was set him up against the Jewish nation or set him up against the Romans. Because if he said stone her, the Romans would have got him because he hadn't got the right to stone people and kill them. If he said don't stone her, the Jewish nation would have said, well, it's in the law. We're supposed to stone her. Do you know what's really weird about this trap? Where was the fella? Where was the guy? If she was calling the act of adultery, well, maybe they had different ways of doing it in them days, but nowadays I think it takes two. Yeah? Double standard. He was, yeah, yeah. He was probably one of the guys with the stones. The law they were referring to was back in Deuteronomy, and that specifically said that the man and the woman should be took out and killed to rid the nation of, of evil. It's in Deuteronomy 22. It said, stone them both. So besides that, now we could spend hours just talking about that woman. I think she was set up. I think she was set up. Them kids don't sound happy. But she was dragged away, probably naked or semi-naked, dragged in front of a crowd and pulled up in front of Jesus. The idea being to trap Jesus but using her as bait. But Jesus didn't fall for it. I don't know. I'd love to know what he was writing on that ground. There's been more speculation. There's books been written, all kinds of stuff about what he could or couldn't have been writing on the ground. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. What he did was hold a mirror up to everybody. He said, all right, lads, which one of you is perfect? 
Come on, step up. Which one of you is have it? Have it all together. Have it all sorted. You can throw the first stone. And slowly but surely they all left from the oldest to the youngest. And I wondered why the oldest. And I figured they probably had the longer to mess up. But I think too the older you get the more you realise how much time left you have left. And how much more you need to get sorted out with God. Because like in the kind of normal scheme of things I'm a lot closer to heaven than some of you are. Hopefully. But if we can see where he was coming from with this, the most important thing in this whole story for me, for this bit is, does God condemn us? No, I don't believe he does. Because Jesus had the perfect opportunity here to condemn this woman. She was caught rapid. Hands up. Hand in the cookie jar, whatever you want to say. She was caught. He could have gone. Yeah. She does deserve to die. Now whether they should have dragged the fella in, they should have. Whether they should have ever set her up or not, they shouldn't have. But here's the deal. She was in it. She did it. She was guilty. And she knew it. Do you know what's really interesting? When all her accusers was gone, the only two left were her and Jesus. But she was still there. And he was still there. And when all the accusers leave your life and all the people who are quick to point a finger and go, you're not doing this good enough and you're not doing that good enough. And did you see her? She was locked. And did you see him? He was doing that. And did you see them? They were doing this. When all them people are gone, the one that's going to be left is you and God. And I want to tell you, the God I want to be left with is the God of the Bible. Not the God of the religion I was told about years ago. I want to be left with the Jesus of the Bible. Because I've been in the boat with that woman. I've been the sinner. I've been the one who's screwed up. I've been the one who's done all the wrong things. And I've experienced the grace of Jesus. He'll say, go and sin no more. He doesn't let us away with it. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't say, go on back out and do whatever you want to. Go on back out and beat people up. Go on back out and rob. Go on back out and stay locked. Go on back out and, and be dishonest or fiddle this or fiddle that. He doesn't say do all of that. He says, go and sin no more. But he doesn't say you're a dirty, rotten sinner. He doesn't say you're no good. He doesn't say walk away full of shame and beat yourself up for the next six months and then maybe it might be okay he didn't tell that woman to do anything except go and sin no more there was no penance there was no big thing she had to do to try and make it right she just had to go and live but try and live for God so does God condemn us? no I think if we get to go from this life into the next one and we haven't accepted Jesus as a saviour then the scripture says yeah we are condemned we're in a bad place then but if we have Jesus 
and he's on our side, then he's going to stand in the middle. Jesus stood between her and that crowd. He may not have physically got up and stood in front of them, but he put a wall between them and her. A wall of truth. And a mirror for to let them see themselves. And he protected her. And you know what the scripture says? He's forever in the throne room of God interceding for us. Forever. So every time every time we do something wrong Jesus is there going it's okay that I'll cover that. And there's not one of us in this room who doesn't need that. And most of us need it every day. But here's the other side of this. Don't fall into the trap of being one of the people with the stones. It's so easy to fall into that trap. So easy. I was in it this week. So easy. So easy to take my eyes off of who I am and the grace of God that I need every day and sit and say about somebody else paying me arsonists or what or whatever they need to get their stuff together look at that one look at this one do you know that's not the way we're supposed to be doesn't mean we ignore stuff that's wrong but we're not supposed to be people's judges we're not supposed to be picking up stones and baiting them up we're supposed to be coming alongside them and going what can we do to help how can this be made better Jesus could have picked up a stone and gone whacked her over he could have whacked a whole lot of them over actually he was the only one that could but he didn't God won't but people will but you know what we're people we used to have a saying years ago some of you know this that people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones yeah I'm going to tell you something we're all living in glass houses we're all living in glass houses Let's not be stone throwers. If Jesus didn't throw stones, let's not us throw stones. And especially for those who belong to the family of God. I've seen more Christians rip the back off other Christians. And it's not right. If God can show that kind of grace to us, Why don't we show that grace to each other? Why don't we just let that flow through us? And go, do you know what? Yes, that person has stuff going on. But let the Holy Spirit deal with that. Because he'll deal with it in me. And he has dealt with it in me. And he'll convict me when I'm wrong. And he'll tell me, Brian, that's not okay. Sort yourself out. Do it this way. Do it that way. Don't do that. Whatever. He's big enough to do that. We don't need the panel of judges like on the X Factor to go, eh, eh, you failed again. What we need is a few golden buzzer moments. We need to start catching people doing good. We need to start looking out for when other people are doing well and go, that is amazing. 
It's really easy to find people doing bad. Really easy. It's really easy to catch yourself doing wrong. Really easy. Why not make this a place where we catch each other doing well? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The smallest little thing. That's brilliant. Well done. Great. Not some, not some false kind of like, oh, ain't you agree? Do you know what I mean? I'm not talking about Facebook crap here. I'm talking about like real life. What if hope became a place where people became known for loving each other, caring about each other, supporting each other, not for ripping the back off each other, not for dragging people down, but for lifting people up? What could that do to our families, to our friends, to our community? What difference could that make? What I saw this week was a group of people behaving like a body and coming together to wrap around people who don't have everything right in their life. And they're not pretending to. But they were doing something and they were doing it well. And what was most amazing was seeing the body come together around that. And seeing that in operation. And seeing the body getting a bigger blessing out of it than the people who are on the receiving end. Because they were doing it. The reality of it is, here's because I need to start for questions and answers. Don't be the judge. God's the judge. But Jesus is the one standing between us and the judge. And the price has been paid already. The blood of Christ on the cross is enough for all of us. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you might do in the future even. It's enough. It's covered. We're covered. Don't be a stone thrower. Don't be a stone thrower. There's enough of them in the world. We don't need them. Read the newspapers, watch the telly. There's enough people ripping everybody apart. I am no lover of politicians. I really am not um, I don't even like politics, to be honest with you. But them people are doing, and I believe most of them got into it. Most of them. Maybe some of them just got into defended their own nest. But I believe most people get into that kind of thing because they want to make a difference. The system they're in is really corrupt and messed up and all the rest of it. And by the time they get anywhere they have a bit of power, they've probably been corrupted by the system. But we're supposed to pray for them. We're supposed to ask God to encourage them and strengthen them and straighten them out so that we have a better world and a better life. Now, the fact that the air is different to the reality of whether we're supposed to be saying it or not. Okay? We have an opportunity to be different. We have an opportunity not to join the brigade of stone throwers. Whether that's on social media whether that's in the real world, whether that's on the TV or the newspaper or whatever. Let's be people who throw love, who throw acceptance, who throw grace, who throw encouragement, who throw strength, who look for the good. If there's 99% of a person is bad, then that means there's 1% is good. Let's look for the good. Amen? Yeah? Um, we have six or seven minutes left. Can I have an early cup of tea or someone might have a question? Go for a second. Surprise! <laughs> what? Crumlin. Oh, condemned. 
Oh, okay, condemned. Um, oh, John, how do you say condemned? How do you explain condemned? Who has Wikipedia handy? Um, condemned means that you're, you're... Oh, if a person is in court and he's after committing murder, he would be condemned to death. Condemned is like when the judge passes judgment on you and then you're a murderer. The difference with con- condemned and condemnation is it's very personal. It becomes all about me and it becomes my identity and what I am. Where Jesus says, so, so if I'm, um, if I'm, a, a, let me see, dishonest, okay? So people will say I'm a lawyer, okay? Because I tell lies, all right? Jesus would say, I'm a child of his, bought by the blood of Jesus who lies, so I need to stop lying. I'm not a liar. Does that make sense? Yeah? We've had this with people in addiction. They become the addict. But they're not. They're a person who has an addiction. The blood of Jesus can break that. We have to step into it. Who was talking? I was talking to two people this morning, actually, about somebody yesterday who told me that... Um, can I say this about you? You told me last night. Sergei got baptized. He made a decision not to drink anymore. Because I was buying him at the party last night. He said, oh, I want a Coke. When I got baptized, I said, I'm not going to drink anymore. And then someone else said to me, well, that, that didn't happen to me. And I said, well, he made a decision. Yeah, there's a difference. We have to decide to step into it as well. But it's like con- condemnation makes you the person. And if, if that's who I am and that's my identity, that's extremely hard to change. But conviction is about what I do. And what I do can be changed. And what Jesus does, he convicts us of what we do. But he doesn't condemn us into being what the world says we are. Or what the sin says we are. Or the behavior says we are. Do Google translation for the get condemned. Anybody else? Cool. The Irish people. Don't ask me questions at the door. Get the ball, lads. The first week I did that, I was sitting there going, I'm not even at the door and I got three people. I wanted to ask you this. Get your goats out. Yes, go on, Mary. And mercy is what changes things. So just for the tape, mercy, people find it hard to get their head around mercy. And, and here's the thing, we want mercy from people. When I do stuff, I remember um, a friend of ours, Larry Murray, he was telling me he was caught for speeding. And him and actually someone else who's a pastor, I better not mention his name, were in a court in Nace for two speeding tickets in two separate days. And when they were there, they were going, I think we should pray for mercy, not justice. Yeah? <laughs> And they were going, yeah. And mercy is that. And that's what they say grace is. It's the unmerited mercy of favor of God. So it's like mercy when we don't deserve it. Do you ever give your kids mercy when they don't deserve it? As a kid, did you ever want mercy when you didn't deserve it? Yeah. But that's what God gives us all the time. But we don't. You're right. We don't handle it because we think we have to earn it. And the thing about mercy is you can't earn it. You can't earn mercy. You can only accept it as a gift. And there's something in us as people want to go, no, I want to earn it. I'm like, I can't just take it as a gift. 
because I'm holier than God, so I'm going to make myself suffer to be holy. Like, it's crazy thinking when you think of it. There's people in psych wards saying it's Madison. But there's like, you have to um, get a grasp that if God's mercy is unlimited, I'm going to swing it back around again, and we're supposed to be coming more like Jesus every day, then our mercy should be grown. Our mercy for other people who are, for ourselves. Actually, one of the biggest things I find, I have no problem with God forgiving me. I have a serious problem with forgiving myself. There's some sick part of my head that thinks I need to beat myself up a bit longer before it's okay to be okay. And the reality of it is, the second I repent, which is that whole thing about, I'm going this way, no, that's wrong, I shouldn't be doing that, I'm just going to turn around. I don't even have to feel sorry. I just need to make a decision to repent. And go, I know that's wrong, God, I'm not going to do it. I'm stopping. God's mercy is straight into that place. His forgiveness is straight into that place. And I'm free. But I'm going around me like, tick, 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 like this, for ages. The amount of people I know who are like that. And God's up there going, will you cop on and cut it out? I forgave you. Get into the freedom and live in the freedom instead of living in the prison. We're either caught up in the prison of the sin or we're caught up in the prison of the regret. Both of them are the same prison. They just have different color bars. Thanks, Mary. Great point. Anyone else? Cool, let's pray before anyone says anything. Lord, I have a minute to go. Lord, thank you for your amazing, unbounded, unlimited, undeserved mercy. Thank you that you gave us that example where Jesus just showed unlimited mercy to a lady who was being picked on, who was being scapegoated, who was being used by people. who had done what was wrong, who had done something deserving death, but your mercy saved her. And Lord, I know that me and everyone in this room have done stuff that in your eyes deserves death. The death of not being able to be in your presence, the death of not knowing you in our lives, the death of not having your grace flow through us and wash us clean and, and set us free. pray right now that your grace would flow over this place. That you would wash our hearts in your mercy. That you would wash our minds with your grace. That you would help us to understand just what you have already done on the cross. Jesus, you made a way where there was no way. You paid the price already, so we don't have to pay another price. So Lord, if there's people sitting in this room right now who need a touch of your mercy and your grace, I pray. I pray that they would just reach out to you for it right now. That they would reach out to you. Because I know your grace is there, Lord. I know your mercy is there. We don't need to try and make it happen it's there it's a matter of us reaching up and accepting it I pray Lord if there are people in this room who are trapped in some kind of a prison of, of 
pain or sin or hurt or regret or bitterness or rejection or whatever that your grace and your mercy would come in and that you would fill those places where all those hurts are and you would set our hearts free to love and you would set our hearts free to be who you created us to be and you would set our hearts free to love you and to love our neighbor Lord, I pray that we would be a people who put the stones down and pick the cross up. I pray, Lord, that we would never, ever again pick up a stone. But we would seek to see people in love. And we would seek to see the best. And we would be builders of your body. And builders of your gospel in this world. And that we will bring the light that you have given us with us everywhere we go, every day that we go. And Father, I pray that you would make your face shine on your people. And that we would reflect it like Moses did. I pray, Father, that you would make your face shine on your people. That you would help them to keep their heads full of you. And keep their hearts full of you. That you would help us, Lord. To hold your hand every single day this week and know that you are our daddy in heaven. And for those, Lord, who are here today who maybe, who don't have a dad or who have lost a dad or who are struggling over that, I pray that you would reach into that place in their hearts and let them know that you are their eternal dad. And you will never leave them or forsake them. Mother, bless your people. I ask you to keep them close to you and for you to stay close to them this week. I pray you would have the best week ever. That you would know the presence of God in your, everything that you do. And that you would know his peace in every moment of every day. And I ask it in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Have a great week.